The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. God's Word then to Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. It's the focus of our attention this morning, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, as we continue this uh, verse-by-verse series that we've called Durable. You know, I'm sure that you are like me in that through the onslaught of change and chaos of how 2021 has already begun just 17 days in that uh, you have again looked to the Word of God for answers. I hope that uh, you already this year have been seeking hope and help, uh, the solid footing that we need, the lens in which to view the world's events through that you want something more sure and more eternal, something durable. And what is that? What is the, where is our source that can uh, withstand the chaos and that is itself unchanging and unaffected by the issues but has something always to say? It is the Word of God. And so here we are once again looking to Christ in this book in Philippians. And our verses today are short but profound. And just by way of setting up here, as uh, uh, maybe you've been with us through each of these passages, or maybe you're new with us, and so I'll just kind of give you a glimpse into uh, the context, into this church here, and what's happening. But as we've studied the book, a picture, I think, has begun to form in our minds about the context in that day. From all accounts, it seems that uh, this young church in Philippi was really thriving, wasn't it? It was a place where the people of God were really growing, where the lost were being saved and the saved were being matured and the mature were being multiplied all to God's glory. It seems from all accounts that they were committed to the Great Commission, that they were making disciples and people were being baptized and taught to observe all that God has commanded, that they were indeed, even as Paul encouraged them and commanded them, uh, they were living a life worthy of the gospel. They were living out the one another's in their biblical community. And sure, pride existed. Sure, there were complainers among them. There's division uh, between some people. But for sure, in the midst of even those things, we get the sense that Paul loved them. He had a great affection for these people. He, He had concern and compassion for them through their anxieties, through their fears, through their disputing, through their immaturity. And in the midst of all this, he loved them and he taught them even from a prison cell. But over well, they were growing and even still, Paul spurs them on, exhorting them to a durable growth to continue to walk with Christ, to continue to make strides in their sanctification, to keep going, to never stagnate, to never settle for where they were, but because of who Christ is and the life that he offers, that they were to continue on into this life that was so much better, even as their sin lingered, even as it was waging war against them and us. And isn't it in those moments, just when we think we have humility figured out, that our conceit shows up un- uh, unexpectedly? Isn't it just like it when we think we are courageous and we come through, then we cower in a conversation with a coworker? Just when we think we've come to a place of unity in marriage, then our anger blows the lid off of things again. And in so many ways, we are like the Philippians, aren't we? 
and our own personal life, and even we as a church, as we think of uh, what God is doing here at Redemption, we're real people just like they were. We're a young, growing church just like they were. In so many ways, so much overlap in a world that was pressing upon them and where it was countercultural to live sold out as a follower for Jesus Christ. These truths, uh, what were for them to exhort them, are the same for us today. It's why I love the Word of God. It's why I love just how timeless it is, how relevant it is in every season. And so enough about the context. Are you ready for the verses now? How about I read them? Look at your Bible in uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, and I just want to put them before us now. Say this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, this is God's word for God's people. These verses are, in essence, an encouragement to keep growing, church. They're an encouragement to stay humble and not to get too puffed up. Paul, as he loves this church and as he is faithfully shepherding them, even from a distance, his, these verses are an encouragement with really one central dominant command in the middle of them. And it's, it's really pretty simple. They do work. He goes on and he'll show us how to do this. In the previous passage that we looked at last week, in verse 3, he warns them to not do anything from selfish ambition. Nothing. No matter where they are, no matter what they work, no matter what their life is, they're to do nothing and to put to death those self-serving impulses that rage within us. But this doesn't mean that believers are to have no ambition whatsoever. Does it mean that we're not to have uh, any sort of uh, work or to uh, strive to succeed in life? Rather, instead of selfish ambition, we're to have a spiritual ambition. To do spiritual work, a drive and a desire to grow in our holiness. Or what uh, is often called our sanctification. That big word, that theological term uh, to, that really uh, discusses or puts before us our, our working out our salvation, our growth in holiness, our, our living a life as believer. And that's a, really just a big word, sanctification for holiness, the present aspect of our salvation, different than justification, that past legal declaration of our righteousness before the Lord. Uh, that we are saved, that we are in right standing with God, a past uh, 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 salvation, what happened at our regeneration or the moment that we were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And it's a stage in between our future salvation or what's known as our glorification, when we will be in the presence of God, free from the penalty, power, and presence of sin in our life. And what a day that will be, right, church? It's ultimately what we look forward to. But now this is our present motivation to live as Christ followers, to live now Christ-honoring lives in increasing measure, both in our heart and in our deed. It's as if at our regeneration or the moment we were saved, God took the engine out of our selfish ambition and placed it in, the, uh, in our spiritual ambition so that now we are able to drive in a whole new way as believers. And while this is a gift of grace and really a supernatural ability to even want to or to live a biblical life, it is not immediate nor instant, is it? 
I mean, how many of us here, you know, there, there's some thoughts, there's some habits for sure that at the moment we're saved, they just, they just went away, right? How many of us in here at the moment we, whatever those sins, any, were there any that just kind of at the moment of your salvation went away? But then there are others, and really in the hands of the Lord, there are some sins that just kind of linger and plague us for long periods in our life. Things that God uses to keep us humble, to keep us dependent, to keep us coming back to Him. But as we do, we grow. Because this really, I would say, church, is the norm for us. is just slow, durable growth and putting off sin and choosing to live righteously. This is what grace reveals. This is what God does in us. This work that He is doing in and through us. And so all these things to really set the stage, we're to get to work. But how then do we do it? How do we live this? How do we work out our salvation? Well, there's seven things here that the verses have to teach us about how to work, how to grow, how to uh, stay uh, the course in this Christian life. And so if we were called to get to work, here's the first point. We're to get to work by imitating Christ. By imitating Christ. Look at that first word in our verse, and we're just going to stop there. What's the first word? It is therefore. That's right. You can say it out louder and say it. It is Therefore, that's right, and there's really no bottom to its instruction. We just read this first one, and as good Bible students, we slow down anytime we see that word in the Scriptures, and we ask that question, what is therefore? Therefore, that's right. Anybody heard of that? If not, this is a great uh, uh, tool for you in your own Bible study. As you're reading through the Scriptures and you come to that word, slow down. Let it be like a stop sign and ask that question, what is therefore? Therefore, because it's pointing us back to the previous text. In light of what was just taught in the previous verses, now do this. And so here, what is it pointing us back to? The previous verses of Christ's humility and exaltation. You know, how many of us were rocked last week as we uh, read and uh, tried to apply this? How many of us were convicted of our own selfish ambition, conceit, or looking out for our own interests? This guy right here. You know, how many of us had ample opportunity this week to apply it? All of us, likely. How many of us in, in here had, could see how it would solve many of the issues that were going on around you? If we would just lay down our rights. But you know what? If we're going to get to work, if we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, then it matters who we are imitating in our life. And so he, he, he encourages us here. He says, okay, therefore, whose very name we, that, word is, or that phrase rather is derived from. We want to follow the one who mastered living, a holy living, the perfect example. And it is Christ who showed us how. He is our mentor. He is the trainer. He is the discipler. I mean, think of it this way. If you and your company were hiring a new employee this week, who would you want to train that person? The other new guy that was hired last week? And there's an element they could show along and you'd equip that person. But ultimately, you'd want the person who, who is your best employee, who knows how to do the work, who gets the culture of the company that you are trying to establish. And so as we seek to grow in Christ's likeness, we must follow then Christ and imitate Him. We must get our mind in, in the Bible so that the Word of Christ richly dwells in us. We must hide His Word in our heart. We must present the members of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. Just like Christ showed us how. Just like Christ has lived an example for us by living humbly and laying down our rights. 
This week, I came across this quote by D.L. Moody in his book from Men of the Bible, and he said this, I know of nothing that speaks louder for Christ and Christianity than to see a man or woman giving up what they call their rights for others and in honor preferring one another, end quote. See, as we want to live a life that imitates Christ, as we want to live a, 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 a life that is increasing in godliness, let us then look to the example of Jesus Christ who showed us how to live in a way that pleases God. As we get to work then, we need the right trainer, don't we? We need the right person uh, to whom we are modeling our life after. And so get the righteous trainer, get Christ himself. But there's more to it as we get to work. Look at the next few words. We're to get to work by imitating Christ, but we're also to get to work in love. Paul calls the Philippians in the next two words here, my beloved. You're like, man, how many points? We're just like two points in and we're only a few words into the verses. Well, it'll speed up here in a bit. But what does he call them? My beloved. Christian even. More than any other word, this title for those who follow Christ is beloved. Those who are beloved of, of God. And I think when we see this, we need to just linger here for a little bit, don't we? We need to just stop and, 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 and savor what it is to be uh, called beloved, to be loved by God and loved by God's people. Sure, there is a horizontal aspect here as Paul is, is calling them, these Philippian believers, my beloved, but it flows out of the love that God has for both Paul and them and subsequently us. See, some of us in here, I think, we live our lives today trying to please God as if he's perpetually angry with us. That, he, that he's up there in heaven just like ready to strike like a lurking snake. That, that, that if he, he's eager to catch us so he can inflict punishment. And if that's your view of God, like, just stop and think about that. Who does that actually describe? The enemy. The enemy. See, God isn't up there just perpetually angry. The reality is the exact opposite. Ephesians 1 tells us that in love he predestined us to adoption. And then in Ephesians 2, verse 4, maybe one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us. Oh, you know the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us in every phase of our salvation and every theological nuance of us being made new in Christ it is Christ's love that carries us on we could go on and quote scripture after scripture here for all over we are told that it is God's love that saved us and is now at work to sanctify us and to grow us and maybe you're here this morning, you're with us, or you're watching online, you're listening to this, and you've never come to Christ. You've never seen the glory of God and the beauty of His love for humanity, His pity and compassion for us. Sneak out around the things of God when Christ and His love is saying, Come to me. 
I know who you are. I know all that you've said and done. I know all your deepest, darkest secrets. And that still did not keep me from the cross. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. Turn from your way of life. Turn from your way of doing things on your own. Stop trying to, to, to just live life unsuccessfully banging your head against the wall at every turn and come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Christ and feel the warmth of his embrace, the forgiveness for your sin and the purpose that he gives for living life. Church, do you believe it? Just linger here. I want to, I want to pray for you this morning. I feel like I need to pray that we would get this this morning. God in heaven, would you do the work that I can't do in fully articulating the depth and breadth and height of your love? Would we as a people be able to comprehend that by the work of your spirit? And for those this morning that don't know it, that are feeling the, 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 the weight of their sinfulness, would you show them to how your mercy is far greater. Your love is much more beautiful. You are, do your work, spirits, that we might comprehend it, that those that are apart from you now would even just, even right now as we're, as we're sitting, as we're praying, that, that you, God, would save them right now. We repent and believe that you, Christ, are the one who made this possible. For each of us, those that love you uh, today, those that are secure in you, and we even just get a glimpse of what this means. And help us all, God, help, help each of us to really embody this, to live this out, to love one another as you have first loved us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See, church, God's love is the soil in which our faith blossoms. Is the fertilizer for life, that which, which we experience in the Lord. But here, God's love is something internal, yes, that we feel, but it is something also that we experience through one another, through the people of God, those around you right now. And so as we come back here to the text, as we see as Paul calls them his beloved, he's saying this horizontally, yes, his love for these people, but it flows out of the great love that he has experienced from the Lord, a vertical love. And this is then really what makes our horizontal love that uncommon. Unlike anything that Hollywood could uh, capture, any book that could write about, it is something that makes it way more rich and eternal. And this is what we're seeking to do, uh, imperfectly for sure, right? Imperfectly as a church, but this is what's captured in, in our small group commitment for one another. Why we uh, call one another to love one another, to care intentionally, to live out what Christ said in John 13. This new commandment I give you to love one another, to be earnest in our love at all times, to speak the truth in love, to listen, to understand and not just assume or accuse things, to pray for one another with compassion. And as it comes to our growth, our work in Christ, just picture uh, two different work environments with me for a moment. Imagine the work environment where the boss is always angry and the employees are full of selfish ambition and conceit and always looking to their own interests versus the environment where the boss is rich in mercy and the employees are bound together in love for, for the Lord and one another, which will succeed more. 
the latter for sure. And this, beloved, is the church where we grow in our love for the Lord and for one another. This is where love is a defining characteristic here. And you know what, honestly, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you get this. I'm preaching to the choir in many ways because you are a church, redemption, as a people of God that really excel in this. And so excel still more. If you're new this morning, well, one, welcome to our church. But if you want to grow in your faith, then welcome home. This is a place where God's people want to grow together to love one another. Imperfectly, yes, but love loving one another as God has called us to. And so for all of us, let us excel. Disobeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And if you've been with us or you're familiar with the book of Philippians, you know that this isn't the first time he's alluded to this point. He said the same thing back in 127, and he exhorts them to let their life uh, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that you would continue in this. And so now he brings us back to it, that a life worthy of the gospel, a life that is seeking to grow, is one that is marked by integrity. One that is marked by consistency of character, by obeying the Lord's commands no matter who you are with or where you are. You know, whether Paul's there or not there, obedience won't change. Yeah, And so like our mirroring, but see, consistent obedience to the Lord is core to following Christ. He's, in, he's encouraging them. He's saying, hey, get to work by continually putting uh, into practice the things that the Lord has commanded. You've always done this, and great job. You have a history of faithful obedience. Good on you. Now continue it, whether I'm there or whether I'm not. Whether we can meet or we can't, let us continue, for this obedience is, a, is part and parcel to the Great Commission. What are we called to do? And I quoted it just uh, earlier in the message here. We're to make disciples of all nations. We're to baptize and we're to teach people to observe or to obey all that Christ commanded us. And so we as Christ followers, we delight to grow in our obedience of putting into practice the things that God has called us to do. Why? Because we believe His ways are best. We believe that it is best even when they go counter to culture, even when they grade against our own desires, even when the personal cost might be great, even when we can't see the outcomes all the way down the road. We will take the next step in faithful obedience, knowing that it always results in our growth in godliness. That the only outcome of that is pleasing God in our growth in godliness, right? Just like regular, consistent time in the gym, following the trainer's plans will result in gains over time. Not always immediate, not always uh, a seen after one, but over time it will result in gains. And so church, my exhortation to you this morning is to keep growing Keep taking gains. Many of you have grown significantly over the last six months where COVID has not been a detriment, but it has actually been a great gift to your faith. Don't stop. Keep going. You've experienced the joy. Not be shaken in our pursuit of growing in Christ-likeness. Let us get to work with consistency. But here's the next point then. Let us get to work in community. And I've touched on this just a bit ago. Get to work in community. Look at the next little uh, phrase here in the passage. He says to work out your own salvation. And here's really the command upon which the whole uh, passage is built upon. This is what uh, uh, drives us here. We are to work out. 
And there's an important distinction here to work out. Notice what it says. You may want to underline that, circle that, so you remember this. It's work out, not work for. Big difference. Amen is right. Big difference here. There's, the, the, there's a massive uh, d- difference in just those two simple words. We don't work for our salvation, do we? Church, could we do anything that would earn us favor with God that he's like, yep, that guy's finally strong enough. That woman finally has it figured out. And now I will let them in. No, we don't work for it. Now this working out is saying we are already saved. God has done the good work of regenerating us, of giving us a new heart and a new mind. And so now we are seeking to live for the Lord of working out. It's a difference in location. To work for our salvation is like saying, uh, well, I'm going to go work out in the parking lot. And when I'm strong enough and fit enough and agile enough and athletic enough, then they'll let me in with a membership and I can go work inside in the gym. That's working for our salvation. But to work out your salvation is this, we're saying that, no, Christ paid for my membership. I was weak I was an enemy. I didn't want to work out. I wanted to sleep in. I wanted to live my own lazy life. And Christ said, no, I've paid your membership and he got me in. And now he's shown me how to work out and laid out the plan. And now I'm doing the work. It would be a shame then to get in, to be working out, to have all this, and then to just sleep in. And not do anything. But see, this is where the rest of the passage comes in. It says, you were to work out, but then your own salvation. And you might read that and and think, well, there's some personal responsibility here. Like, I'm supposed to do this. I'm dependent. And that really is. But there's something also that is uh, maybe not as obvious in our English translation. But it's actually plural here. Work out y'all's salvation. Right? We need a Texas version maybe. There's a corporate sense where we grow and work together here in community. And that's why the point here, that's what, where the command is now to get to work in community in the context of working out our salvation together. We work out, uh, it's more like an exercise class where we come in and we all work out. This isn't the, the Christian faith is not working out by just like popping in our earbuds, mean mugging and staying away from everybody else in the gym. It's a working action, but we come and do it together. And we don't want to make the mistake here of, uh, of thinking that, well, I can work out other people's salvation. Sometimes we try to do this, don't we? I think, well, I'm going to work out my spouse's salvation. I'm going to, you know, if I just do enough, if I just, then, then I can help to like squeeze them in or with our kids, right? If I just do this, if I get them in a Christian school, if I do this and I, we lay it out before them and then we think, okay, we can work their salvation out or a coworker, whoever it might be. But here's the best thing that you can do. Work on your own faith. Grow tender and humble before the Lord. Live as salt and light before whoever you want to see to come to Christ and let God do His work on their heart uh, as you live for the Lord. And they will see the difference. They will see the gains. They will see the immeasurable value of following Christ in your life that God may use to compel them to also follow Christ. But this is a group exercise, church. And when we're in, we're living it out in an uncommon community, you know, and we, I, I think we get this. We're not, we're not perfect in it by any means, but we're working to imitate Christ and love and consistency. It's really a game changer that we all grow exponentially greater when we are working out together. 
and, and, and this is even for some of us who are maybe more independently driven, who are more uh, independently motivated, you know, don't let us go into like this spiritual conceit of where I don't need anybody else. I don't need to be vulnerable. I don't need to, I don't need uh, to learn from anyone. They're younger than me. They're, they haven't been followed the Lord as long as I have. Contagious, and it shoots us all upward. Like how awesome is it when we hear the testimonies of what God is doing in somebody else's life? When we're about to lose hope that God isn't going to come through here as we're stumped on a, on, on a theological, uh, you know, kind of rocky place and God uses somebody else in our life to untangle it for us or to show us that no, God is still at work. As we do this, this encouragement lifts us all upwards and it happens here in community. It accelerates all of our growth. And so let me encourage us this morning to each of us in here to take a next step in, grow, in growing together in community. Maybe you're a guest here. Let me encourage you to just take the first step to connect, to be known, to, to, to come and make yourself just uh, available to get to know somebody. Maybe you've been returning a few times and you've, you've come around, you're watching us online, but you haven't uh, connected or you maybe have a little bit. Let me, let me encourage you to take the next step, to just consider, to, to see what God is doing here, to be cared for in the context of the community at Redemption. Maybe you're right on the fence. You're, you say, no, this is my church home, but you've never committed. You know, saying, this, these are my people. Well, yeah, let me encourage you to then just commit to take that third step and be committed to, to be cared for, to let others uh, grow with you. And maybe you're already at that place. You're committed. You're here. This is your church home. You're serving. You're, you're investing. Let me encourage you to take another step towards multiplication of influencing others, of keep growing and pouring into others yourself as we all work out together, as we all collectively in 2021 take another step into this community. See, we get to work. There's both a sense here of a command and also a great privilege, right, that we are to get to work work. And so we do it in community. We do it with consistency. We do it in love and we do it by imitating Christ. But look how verse 12 ends here. Here's the next way we get to work. We do so with fear and trembling. Maybe you're thinking like, hold on a minute. We, we were just talking about love a few minutes ago and now we're like fear and trembling. Like what? Well, yeah. God is so good and so wise to include this in the scriptures. Paul is so uh, pastoral, such a great shepherd to include these, and even in this order. Yes, love is the starting place for our growth. It is the seedbed upon which our faith uh, grows and matures. It is what motivates us and draws us into the Lord. But godly fear and trembling before the Lord is what keeps us humble. It's what keeps us from taking advantage of His grace and thinking, you know what, I'm already forgiven, so I can just live however I want. You know, it doesn't matter. God's going to love me anyways. He's already forgiven me right in eternity past. And to even think that is to mistake uh, who God is and what He's done in our salvation. Grace isn't uh, just something to be taken advantage of or for our sin. His brutal death on the cross. And so we fear God, not in like a cowering, craven, irrational way that paralyzes us here, but in an awestruck, reverential, restrained way that keeps us from walking in our sin willfully. See, we approach God in the same way that we approach a fire. I've used this example many times. 
you know, the warmth of his love is what draws us in. But the fear of being consumed, the fear of his holiness keeps us at a reverent distance. And so we don't just come trampling into his presence, but rather we come with a trembling confidence. Again, not in like this uh, cowering, whimpering animal type way. Fear of being beaten or abused, but trembling with an awe at just how amazing God is. That he would make himself known to us, amazed at the, the glory of who God is in Christ Jesus. See, listen to these great verses from Isaiah 66. It's the Lord saying this. He says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. And what is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Like, doesn't that just give you a a glimpse into the greatness and majesty of who our God is? He says, all these things my hands have made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, have his gaze upon us. Isn't this what we want? Isn't in his presence where change is found, where his manifest presence is on display, where he is working to transform us into greater Christ-likeness? Isn't this what we want? In a few chapters before, in Isaiah 64, here's the prayer. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isn't this what we want? We want the Lord to come down, that he would rend the heavens like curtains and make his presence known. That the, the verse goes on, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. This is Isaiah 64, 1 through 3. And see where God is, where God is present, where he is at work amongst his people, we are trembling in awe and reverence at the greatness of who God is. Not like these weird body spasms, but in awe and wonder at the greatness of our God. Not in a way of trembling that paralyzes us, but in a way that spurs us on to pursue holiness, that we get to work, that we are working out our our salvation with fear and trembling. But the verse goes on here, and we're to also get to work, empowered by God. Empowered by God. Look at how how the uh, verse 13 goes. It's like, lest we think that uh, the work is our own doing, verse 13 quickly corrects us, doesn't it? It's God's work first before we work out anything. He says that very thing. It is God who works in you both to will and to work. And, and this isn't like some bait and switch, right? It's like, get to work, do it, do it, do it. And well, actually, you're not doing anything. But it's really a reiteration of a biblical truth, something we see all across the scripture, something that, that uh, Paul uh, understood in his own life, in his own ministry. Go read this afternoon, 1 Corinthians 15.10, and you will see his heart behind this. See, God is the creator. He is the ultimate initiator in everything. We love why? Because he first loved us. See, we get to work in our salvation. Why? Because he first worked in us. And so we then work out our our salvation. We live out this faith with a confident dependence. King Solomon grasped this as well as he wrote Psalm 127. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, 
Those who build it labor in vain, that unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so as we get to work empowered by God, it is a confident dependence in who He is and what He is doing in us. It inspires us then to work hard and rest hard, to multiply joyfully and to disciple faithfully. See, it is God who is at work in us by His Holy Spirit, who is purging out sin that remains, who is exposing and convicting that which is displeasing to God, and then by bringing to mind the truths of the Word of God. See, God is at work in both our willing and our working, in our heart and our actions, in our desires and our efforts. God is at work in us in the deepest parts of our being into the very things that we feel, into the very obvious outward actions in which we do. That's why Paul prays prayers like this where he says, Make me increase and abound in love. Direct my steps towards you. He understands that it is God who is at work in him and his actions then will get him there. Isn't this such a, uh, you know, a great way to even begin our prayers? So maybe you're like me and you, you think like, yeah, I, there's days where I just don't feel like love, loving the Lord or loving that person. Is that you or is that just me? Yeah. It's like, no, I just don't feel love for this person. We need to pray like Paul prays there in 1 Thessalonians 3. God, make me increase and abound in love for you and for my spouse, my kid, my coworker. This small group person, the person sitting next to me, God, make me. But even in the moments when we do, when we are feeling it, when we are doing it, then we pray the same thing. God, make me increase in it. Make me delight to follow you. So that when we don't feel like working it out or we don't feel like it, our, our feelings will then come along as we obey. This is what I encourage people to do when they're like, well, I just don't feel like it. Well, my encouragement is do the things that faith does, and then you will feel the things that faith feels. Do the things that faith does, and you will feel then the things faith feels. And what does faith do? How do we grow? How do we work out? Well, we engage the means of grace that God has given us by intaking His Word, by reading and meditating and memorizing the Word of God. Not by always just taking in more, but by going deeper and, and, and savoring the words that are on the page. By we engage, uh, we grow by engaging the Lord through prayer, fervent prayer, confessing our sin, adoring Him, thanking Him for who He is, and bringing our requests to Him. We grow in our faith. Faith grows in community and the body of believers that are around us. And so through all these means, all this, God does His great work in us to transform us and to grow last. It's a fantastic book, but it's talking about these very same things and growing in spiritual disciplines and, and, and just kind of trying to navigate, you know, okay, it's we who work, but God who works. And he had a really helpful illustration here because one of the things he said, some of us view growing in our faith like a motorboat where it's all us. You know, our hand is on the throttle. Our hand is on the steering wheel. Our hands are, it, it is all us. If this boat is getting anywhere, it is up to us to put into action, to set the course uh, for growth. Others of us view uh, our sanctification, our growth like a raft. Like, uh, you know, we just, it's built there and we just sit on it and we kick back and wherever the, you know, wherever the current takes us, that's where we'll go. Where the first was all God, or all us, here it's just all God. I don't have anything, and I just get to kick back on the raft and just let go and let God. 
But the biblical idea is more like a sailboat. Biblical idea is more like a sailboat that as we are upon the boat, without the wind and without the waves, we aren't going anywhere. We'll be just sitting still here without uh, the, without the uh, force of the wind setting the direction and setting the, the speed in which we go. We won't go anywhere. And so what do we do? We set the sail in line with the wind to take us where the wind will take us. We must discern it. We must set the sails. We must know what type of knots to tie those which are strongest that will help lead us in, and keep us in line with the wind. See, this is how we get to work. This is what a God who is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure as we seek to follow him, as we seek where he is moving and what he has called us to do in a way that pleases him. And this is really where it ends. We get to work that, to please God. This is the end game, isn't it? This is where he says uh, how it is for God's good pleasure, for his good pleasure. You want to live a life that pleases God? Church, I hope so, don't you? I mean, we want to live a life that pleases God. Well, a life that pleases God is marked by faithful, obedient, God-enabled growth. Of taking a next step in holiness. Of us leaving behind our sinful ways of thinking and choosing instead to follow the Lord in faith. It it is a durable growth that happens through consistent, Christ-like, Spirit-empowered, God-glorifying work in faith. And by this He is pleased so that at the end He can present us holy and blameless to the Father. And church, do we want this year to be our best year yet? We want to take steps. Do we want to be different people a year from now than we are right now? Well, then our motivations must increasingly be to live a life worthy of the gospel above all else. Of not being the same, but of growing in our faith, of growing in our fervor, of saying no to sin. If we want to take ground for the gospel in our own life and as a church. God in heaven, this is uh, what we do live for. We live for your glory. And so even as uh, this uh, message in some ways may feel like a motivational speech, like, God, we need to, we, we, we want to do this and let's get going. We would be uh, foolhardy to just think we can do this all on our own. And so we uh, come humbly dependent asking that you would do your good work in our hearts that we might then get to work this week, God. We want to be faithful people. We want to be obedient people. We want to live a life that honors and glorifies you. And so help us, Lord, to that end. You are so good. You are so great. You do good and you do great things. That's why we praise you. So help us, Lord. Let us not just laze about this week. Let us not be uh, uh, think that we've made it. Just settle. But to grow for your good pleasure. So help us now, we pray in Christ's name. God's people said, amen. Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet?